we are once again in our series in the book of John called The Word. We are looking at the story of the raising of Lazarus. Over the last couple of weeks, we're going to look again this morning at this story, actually get to the moment where Jesus calls him out. And if you don't know the story, I'm sorry, I'm, I just spoiled it for you. Lazarus comes back. He is back in all the action. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen, we've, we've tried to highlight some of the elements of this story. We've seen Jesus's great love for this family from Bethany, right? We've seen his great love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then we looked at uh, at that hinge verse in verse 6, that, that little word in your, in your Bible, it says, so. It says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So, therefore, he waited a few extra days. He allowed Lazarus to die. And it wasn't because he didn't care. It wasn't because he was mad or frustrated or disappointed in them. It wasn't because they didn't ask the right way. It wasn't because they lacked faith. He let Lazarus die because he loved them. Because he loved them. That he had a plan to reveal his glory that was beyond restoring someone who was sick. He had a plan that would reveal his goodness so that people would behold him, believe on him, and by that believing, find life through him. And so his glory, he found the perfect way to reveal his glory. Yes, it was a very heart-wrenching way. But he would display his glory, that he would do it through death, through heartache, through the pain of loss. It shows us the, the imminent worth of his glory. Do you understand how worthy he is? Do you understand how majestic he is? What kind of a sicko would subject someone to the pain of loss and death if it were not for the matchless worth of himself. I talked about it this last, like over the last couple of weeks, right? The, that Jesus is about his glory, that God is about his glory. Isn't this some egotistical cosmic maniac? But that him being consumed with, concerned with, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory, being concerned primarily with his glory is our ultimate good. And so by any means, whatever it takes, I am desperate for God to show up in my life. If that means, yes, through miracles and healing, praise God. If that means through the darkest moments of my life, and loss and hurt and pain, but yet he's right there with me, his Holy Spirit comforting me, revealing to me his goodness and his nature in those dark moments, then praise God, bring on the dark moments. Whatever it takes for him to reveal his glory, because his glory is our greatest good. Right? We love to quote Romans 8.28. It works all things for the, uh, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? And like we sing, we sing that song a couple weeks ago, Canvas and Clay, right? You work all things for, for your glory, for my future, for my good. I don't, want, I don't want us to separate those two things out. We, a lot of times, like, we separate out his glory and our good. Like, his glory is our greatest good. You see it. Over the last few chapters, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. 
Like what Christ was doing through these signs, whether it be a man born blind, who he heals, whether it be um, even just the, the, the language in him calling himself the good shepherd, you're going to see that Christ is all about opening the eyes of people to behold him. Lazarus is just one more tool, one more instrument for him to reveal his glory, which is the hope of mankind. We talked about how in John chapter 20, verse 30, right? These are not, what, what John recorded are not all the signs, not all the things that Jesus did. But in verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So for him to display his glory, whatever it takes, is our greatest good to believe on him and to have life in him. Last week, we really focused in on um, Lazarus being in the tomb, right? He was in the tomb how many days? Four days. We looked at that superstition, right? And I told you, it's, it's extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. This was found in some ancient rabbinical writings that there was a superstition that was common during this time that for three days, the soul of a person would linger about the body after death. For three days, the spirit of that person would be nearby. But after three days, it was too far gone. And so Jesus waits. He lingers. And by the time he gets to the tomb, it's four days. It is too far gone. But there's nothing too far gone for Jesus. Last week, some of the examples I gave, right? Your marriage is not too far gone for the resurrection power of Jesus. Your anxiety, your depression is not too far gone. That is not your new normal because there is resurrection power in Jesus. Your addictions, whatever it is that you find yourself going back to, drugs, alcohol, pornography, it doesn't matter. You are not at day four. You are not too far gone for the resurrection power of Jesus. Some, some of you got relationships in this room that are just a mess. There is animosity and strife and heartache in your family, in your extended family, maybe even with your own kids or your own parents or what, like that relationship is not too far gone from the power, the wonder-working power of Jesus. He loves us. He works in us and through us. You yourself are not too far gone for the reach and the power of Jesus. That in Christ there is power, power to restore, power to redeem, right? That resurrection power, but there's also that sustaining power we talked about last week, right? He's the resurrection and the life. He's the one who sustains us and holds us. He has the power to break sin, but also the power to keep you in his hands. The power to sustain you and to hold you close. I love the fact that he didn't just raise up and, re uh, and restore and then leave us out to our own strength and say, good luck, figure it out. I love the fact that he doesn't give us the gift of resurrection and then the impossible burden to maintain it. Do you get that? Like, do you think that, like, I used to feel that way in my walk with Christ, that yes, he has the power to redeem me and restore me, but now it's up to me. And what an impossible burden to sustain this life, to live this life 
perfectly for him, but he gives us that sustaining power. He's the one who keeps us and holds us in his hands. I talked about it last week. Like, a lot of times, like, we, we think, like, I got to hold on so tightly. I got to cling so tightly. I got to hold on so tightly. And as soon as I mess up, it, the, the rolled up newspaper is going to whack me in the head and tell me I'm disqualified again. He doesn't do that to us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us power to overcome our sin. And he holds us. He's the one who sustains. He's the one who keeps us in his care. He's the resurrection and the life. He is here and he's with you and he's in you. For the glory of his name. When yesterday, or last week we, we moved on to Martha's words to Jesus, right? That confession that we had, those words that were layered, they were so layered. There was such deep disappointment in her words, but then also deep, deep faith. She says, Lord, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask for from God, God will give you. There's deep disappointment in her voice. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Like, what a scary, like, like that's even a scary thing to admit sometimes. Like, who am I to be disappointed in God? Like, he is sovereign and in control and knows way better than me, but... Gosh, I wish he would do things the way I would do them. <laughs> Anybody? But yet he still loves me, even when I feel that way. When I'm sitting there in my car, driving around, crying in prayer, going, God, what are you doing? What do you think you're, like, what are you, he's like, I love you. You don't know. It's okay. I love you. And her words of faith on the backside of that. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That even now faith, David Gutzik points it out, that even now faith, whatever you ask, but even now, I want to have that type of faith. If you had been here, but even now, I trust in you. Even now, I believe in you. And so today, we're going to continue on in this story. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to uh, verse 28. John eleven twenty eight. Let's read there. Twenty eight says this. <clears throat> and when she said this, this is right after Martha's words to Jesus, right after that confession that we just talked about. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "The teacher is here and is calling for you." And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Okay, so she tells her privately. She's not. She, she's hoping for a private moment with Jesus. Verse 30, now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, with Mary, consoling her, saw Mary quickly rise and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you heard that before? When Jesus saw her weeping, right, the same disappointment the same hurt, the same pain. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come uh, with her also weeping, he was moved, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, exclamation point. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Gosh, there's a lot in that verse. I should, I, should I should highlight that verse more later. There's a lot right there in that one phrase from the Jews that we're watching. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I think the King James, if you're a King James person, I think it says, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and here's his prayer, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice his prayer. He doesn't actually pray for Lazarus. I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out with his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the revelation of you. Not just for truth, not just for um, advice, not just for a new way to live, a new philosophy to follow, but the revelation of God himself. But today we see and behold you. Today we see the resurrection and the life that is not just found in you, but that is you. Please, we are desperate. God, open our eyes to behold you. Let us see you, that we might believe in you, and that by believing we would have life in you. God, accomplish your work in us today. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So Mary runs out to meet Jesus, just like Martha did. Martha comes back, and she's talking with her privately because she wants, like, have you ever, like, you needed a moment? You were emotional, you were hurting, whatever it was, and you didn't want a crowd around. You wanted that moment, just you and God or whatever it was. So Martha goes to her sister and, and talks to her privately. But then she gets up and she runs out of the house and the Jews that are with her, like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. Like, funerals back in this time were a big deal. It lasted a long time. There was a lot of popping, like, there was a lot of stuff going on. And it was not uncommon for particularly women in the family to go and mourn, like, for, for a week. There would be sorrow and crying and wailing for like at least a week. And a lot of times it would take place at the tomb. It was expected that they would go to the tomb and that they would mourn and wail and weep and cry at the tomb. So she gets up quickly and she runs out and they assume that that's where she's going. So this hopeful private moment with Jesus turns out to not be such a private moment. She meets with him and she has the same exact disappointment in her voice that her sister had. Same exact words. They must have been like sitting around the kitchen table at some point in those four days going, gosh, if he had just been here, what's taking him so long? Why is Jesus, like if Jesus had just been here, my brother, our brother would not have died. The Jews came with 
And they're watching, and they're, they're watching this interaction that Mary has with Jesus. And what's astounding with all of this to me is that you get a glimpse. You get a glimpse, like, when you think about God, do you understand that God has and shows emotion? Have you ever thought of God in that regard? Like, it's astounding to me that you get to see a picture of the compassion and the love, and even it, it, it says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Like, there's some emotion here from the one who is God. Funerals are emotional times. Two years ago, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, coming up on two years of my dad's, my dad's passing, and um, I got to preach his funeral. And it was a, it was a, it, I was all over the board. <laughs> all over the board. Sorrow, sadness, miss him, love him. But then like there was so much hope and joy because I know his faith was in Jesus. Like I, having conversations with people, I'm like, I'm actually doing okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna miss him of course, but I'm doing okay. And it's because I know that he has put his faith in Christ and either that's true and he is at home in glory face to face with his creator or my life is a sham. <laughs> like anything, like all of this is for naught. And if I can't find hope and joy in this moment, then I don't believe what I believe. Yet there was still sorrow. There was still sadness. But there was also excitement because I got to preach Jesus. Like, what opportunity do you have? Like, and I couldn't believe the amount of people that showed up for my dad's funeral. It, it, the receiving line was too long. It was... But, how, like, you don't have that opportunity to preach Jesus to everybody you love. And I was able to do... So there was excitement even to that moment. In Jewish culture, like I said, at this time... Funerals were a big deal. Funerals are emotional times. And, and in particular, in this culture, they were loud spectacles, what I've discovered. They were loud spectacles. Lots of wailing, lots of crying, lots of mourning for a long time. People throwing themselves on the ground and wailing. William Barclay points out that, that the thought in the the, uh, the feel about this was that the more unrestrained the weeping, the greater honor it paid to the dead. So the louder the spectacle, the more wailing, the more uh, throwing yourself on the ground, the more honor it paid to the person that you've lost. It was actually common and expected for families at this time um, to, to... They would actually... They were expected to have musicians at the wedding, or excuse me, at the funeral. They were expected, right, because you would expect that with a wedding. Uh, I think even the, the poorest families were expected to have two flute players and one professional mourner. Did you know that that's a thing? Like, it's not a thing here in the States, I don't think. Maybe it is. Maybe I should Google it. Maybe there's a listing on uh, Marketplace for a professional mourner. Um, or indeed, maybe try there. Um, might be good money in it, I don't know. But I, I found, like, in different cultures all over the world, even today, there are professional mourners. 
where people would get paid to make a spectacle, to, to mourn and wail at weddings because it paid greater honor to the individual. It still happens around the world today. So you have this emotion. You have this emotional family. You have these supportive friends. You have these professional mourners. There's a lot of emotion involved. And like I said, but what's most astounding to me is that you get a glimpse of the emotion of God. When we think of God and his magnitude, when we think of his countenance and his glory, do we understand his compassion and his love and even his emotion that's tied into it? You think about God's emotion, like maybe sometimes you'll look at the Old Testament and you go, yeah, I see his wrath, <laughs> I see his anger, I see a guy got emotional a couple of times and cities burned. It's not over-emotional, it's justice, it's justified in him, he is right in all he does. Thus, he is also right in his tears in this moment. You see Christ's compassion, we see his stirring, we see his tears, we know that he is love and that he sacrifices with that love. But do you understand the great emotion and stirring that happens in his love? When you look at the language in, in verse 33, let's look at that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That's interesting. That's an interesting phrase. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, exclamation point. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Jesus then, verse 38, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Two times here it's been listed, it's been pointed out that he was deeply moved. And one time it says that he was greatly troubled. And of course, the shortest verse in the whole book, Jesus wept, it points out that he actually cried in this moment. It would be astounding to John's readers back then. You remember the book of John was written somewhere between about 70 A.D. and 100 A.D. Okay, the, the audience that this book was written to, this gospel was written to, was probably mixed. It was probably some Jews, but probably a lot of Gentiles. Even Greeks would be reading this, this gospel, this the account of Jesus. William Barclay in his commentary points out to any Greek reader this, and we must remember, he points out that it was written for Greeks, that this would be staggering and an incredible picture. If they read this, that Jesus wept, that Jesus was troubled, that Jesus um, was deeply moved in his spirit, this would be a staggering, incredible picture to Greeks who read this. John had written his whole gospel on the theme that in Jesus, we see the mind of God, right? In Jesus, we can see God. To the Greeks, Barclay continues to go, it says, the primary characteristic of God was that he was called apatheia, which is probably where we get our Greek word, our, our words for apathy and apathetic, because apatheia means totally, uh, total inability to feel any emotion whatsoever. How do the Greeks come to attribute such a characteristic to God, Barclay goes on to say, they argued this, that if we can feel sorrow or joy, gladness or grief, it means that someone can have an effect upon us. Now, if someone has an effect upon us, it means for that moment that person has power over us. 
And no one can have power, no one can have any power over God. And this must mean that God is essentially incapable of feeling any emotion whatsoever. The Greeks believed in an isolated, passionless, and compassionless God. And so as John writes these words, a Gentile who's reading this, a Greek who's possibly reading this, this would be mind-blowing. This would be staggering that God is full of emotion. God is compassionate. God is stirred, troubled. John's writing that we might see God, behold him, and believe on him. But what we're seeing here is Isaiah 53, 3, the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. And there's a lot of different thoughts about what Jesus is feeling and why he cries in this moment. There's some misunderstandings with it. I think there's probably many layers to it, and unfortunately, John doesn't give us the whole picture. But why did he cry? Was it that Lazarus was gone? Probably not, because he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. He probably wasn't sad over Lazarus. Was he looking at Mary and Martha and the other mourners and, 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 and feeling the weight of their grief and going, this is what sin does. This is the effect of sin and death. And his heart is broken. His heart is broken over sin and death and the pain that it's causing his children, his people, those who he loves. Maybe he's troubled and stirred because of that. Some other good teachers have said maybe it's because of unbelief. Maybe he's looking around and he knows, like as, as, um, when you get to the triumphal entry, Right? As Jesus is going into Jerusalem and he looks at the city and he weeps over the city. And he says, if you'd only know, if you'd only know today the things that make for peace. But now they were hidden from your eyes as he is troubled and stirred because he knows some of their unbelief. Whatever layer it is, you know that he loved them. You know that he loved them because it's clear in our text. You know that, that the hurt that was caused to Mary and Martha over their brother Lazarus, you know that that affected him because he loved them. We serve a God who loves us and is compassionate towards us. And yes, his heart is broken by those who are blind to his glory, those who are blind to his magnitude, those who don't see and behold him and thus don't believe and thus will die in their sin. He's emotional over it. We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who is reaching. We serve a God whose heart is broken over sin and pain and hurt and death. But we also serve a God who has the power to do something about it. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. I love it. I love it. Have you ever come across somebody who, like, they, they're, like, emotional, and they're, they seem like they're with you, and, like, you're going through something, and they're like, yeah, oh, man, oh, and it's just that, and then there's no action behind it? There's nothing there. It's just, oh, I'm there. Oh, that sucks, brother. Sorry. Jesus, compassionate, stirred, and then powerful and loving and does something about it. So Jesus does this miracle. He, 
prays this beautiful prayer to the Father. Doesn't pray anything about Lazarus, but he's like, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. And I'm saying this stuff so that these people around me would believe. And he calls out and he calls Lazarus, come out, Lazarus, come forth. By the way, I listened to Carmen a lot this week. I listened to that song a couple times. Like, to the point, like, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I had tears in my eyes. It's so good. Listen to it. It's so good. And he calls him out of the grave. He hears the call of the one who loves him. He hears him call him by name like a sheep who knows his voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. I'm calling you out. I'm calling out of your sin. I'm calling out of your shame. I'm calling you out of darkness. I'm literally calling you out of death. Come out. All the grave clothes on. Bound up. Bound up by that filth. His hands, his feet, his eyes covered. And he comes out. That is the picture of the person and the work of Jesus. I am the resurrection and I am the life. It's my prayer that we would hear the voice of him calling us. Like just so many times we just think of these just as as spiritual pictures. Like it, it is. It totally is. But there was like someday... He's going to call our name again. Like, he's going to call your name in this life. Praise be to God. Put your faith in believing in him and experience eternal life. That starts right now. And someday he's also going to, like, we will rise again. These, he's going to quicken this mortal body. It's beautiful. Can't wait. I hope it's a little bit more in shape than this one right now. And he does the work. And in his prayer, he says, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. And I've said these things for that these people might believe. I've done these things so that these people might believe. And I'm sitting there going, wow. I was reading the text this week, and I'm going, it's not about Lazarus. None of this is about Lazarus. There is a, there's a picture here, of course, of us in our calling in Christ Jesus, right? That we experience the life, the resurrection life that is found in Christ, of course. So I had this question pop into my head this week. Have you ever been jealous of someone else's miracle? Have you ever seen God doing things around you and thought, oh, that's awesome, but I'm struggling over here too? Have you ever looked at what God is doing around you and go, God, why them and why not me? God shows up and he provides. God shows up and he heals. God shows up and restores. Why them? Why not me? You heard them. Why don't you hear me? And it dawned on me. It dawned on me in Jesus' prayer that it wasn't about Lazarus coming back to life. You know how I know that? There's not some guy in Bethany today named Lazarus still walking around couple thousand years old. Lazarus still died. Lazarus probably got a cold after he got risen again. Like, none of this, none of the ways that God shows up in miraculous ways in this life, the ways he heals, the way he restores, the way he provides, is about this life. I know it because I'm still going to die. 
It's all pictures. It's all signs pointing to spiritual realities and to the one who is our resurrection and our life. And so it wasn't about Lazarus. It wasn't about Mary and Martha not having any reason to cry anymore, to relieve uh, their pain and their hurt in that moment, to relieve their grief and their sorrow in that moment. It was about him. It was about his power. It was about his glory revealed. And and it was revealed so that, again, I'm going to say it again, that you might believe and that by believing in his name that you would have life. And so the answered prayer, the answered prayer in your life, the answered prayer in your friend's life, it was for you. It was for you. Don't be jealous of it. Don't be, don't be disturbed by it. Like, why them, God, and why not me? Because if you are, then we're just worried about comfort. We're worried about this life. Because in that miracle in your friend's life, in that miracle in, 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 in the church around you, whatever it is, he's revealing himself to you. He's revealing himself to me. That I can take joy. And I know, like, there's some discouraging moments. I know it. I've been there. I've been there. But I don't want to miss his glory because I'm worried about my comfort. I don't want to miss his magnitude and his goodness because I'm worried about my comfort or my discomfort or whatever it is that I'm wrestling with right now. He loves you. And he answers prayers in you and around you for your glory. I want to be... I want to stop being consumed with comfort. And I want to be in awe and full of gratitude because of his glory. I want to see him. I want to behold him. Please, in those moments, don't let the enemy of our souls cause calluses over our eyes. Don't let weariness and jealousy and tearing turn to bitterness and blindness. God touched your friend God did miracles around you for you. Let's read our text again, verse 41. It says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he called out with a voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This miraculous sign, right? Not, we, we looked at the words for miracles in scripture a couple weeks ago, right? Not just dunamis, not just power, but a sign of the person and the work of Christ. What Christ has come to do and what he wants to do in all of us that those of us who would see him and behold him and experience him would believe on him and have eternal life. See, when you encounter the God of the universe, when you encounter him, you're go- it's going to solicit a response. And when you look through our text today, you see that there are different ways that people responded to what Jesus just did. There were some of the Jews in verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he had did and believed on him. Those Jews that were sitting around in their kitchen and and she got up and they're like, well, let's go with her because she's going to the tomb and they get to see what Jesus is doing because they're hanging out. They believed on him. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done in verse 46. They're soliciting a response. They're seeing the miracle and they're responding there by either belief or rejection. In our own life, God is doing things in us and through us. He's calling us. And we are forced to respond. Once you have the knowledge, you've got to do something with that knowledge. You're responsible with that knowledge. When you see God doing things around you, I, a lot, you ever had those moments where you're just skeptic? Like you're a skeptic, like I hate saying it as a pastor. Not supposed to say it. Um, you see like God, God doing stuff or at least supposedly, you know, you have people that are really excited about what God is doing. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be that person. I want to see and behold and embrace what God is doing with the power. I want to see and behold the glory of God. How are you responding to the revealing of Jesus? Whether it be in your own life, as you're sitting in these seats right now and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, how are you responding? Are you responding with belief, with a true faith, a faith in believing that, um, as we looked at that word, right, to believe on him, to put your faith in him means to cast your life upon him? Are you believing on him? Or are you further blind to him? Are you callousing your heart towards him? You think about these last few chapters, right? Verse, or excuse me, in chapter 9, you had the man born blind. Literally blind. His eyes opened and it points to the softness of heart to see the glory of Christ. The Pharisees, they were, they were blind. They were haughty. They were resentful. They were unable to see. Chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. I know them by name and I call them out. By each display of his glory, each healing, each moment of miraculous provision, every addiction broken in your life personally and even not personally. In the lives of those around you, it's, it's so that you would see him, that you would hear his voice calling you, that you would behold him and believe and live with him forevermore. He does everything for his glory so that we would see and hear. He does everything for his glory, not for our comfort, but that we would see and hear. Today he calls. He beckons. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He says, Kevin, come forth. Receive the resurrection and life that is in me and is me. Come and live forever. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. We're going to go to time to respond.